Welcome to The Word at First Prez. Over the spring and summer, we are doing a sermon series called Philosopher Kings. The goal of this sermon series is to examine the life philosophies of members of our congregation and how those life philosophies intersect with the Bible. Our hope is that you will find that everyone has something to teach us about life, faith, love, and our relationship with God. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading comes from Genesis. It is one of the creation stories. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, and the tree of all life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm glad to see you all here today. Uh, I'm really glad that we're back in person. It's so nice to be together again. And, you know, for those of you who've been watching online, perhaps, and for those of you who haven't been here, I just want to say that uh, it's just been so wonderful just hearing from you to be here again. And so if you've been watching, we've been doing a sermon series that is called Philosopher Kings. And that term, Philosopher King, it actually comes from Plato. And he came up with this term because he believed that the people who we should be following, those who should be our leaders in the world, those are the ones who should be studying philosophy. And this is not just true of trained philosophers, this is true of ordinary, average people. Now the fact is, all of you, everybody in here, you have a life philosophy. Whether you've thought about that life philosophy, that is an entirely different thing. And so back in January, I asked the congregation, I said, would you please send me your life philosophy, whatever it is that you follow. And uh, I thought I'd get, you know, a few here or there, but I received so many, and they were so thoughtful that I was able to create an entire sermon series around this. And so each week, we start with one or more 
of your philosophies and we see where they intersect with the Bible, where they diverge. And I think what you will find is that everyone here has something to teach us about life, love, faith, and our relationship with God. So our life philosophy today, it comes from Sarah Beth's special, or as she told me the other day, it's actually pronounced, if you're Italian, speciale, which I really love. And so I always, I didn't know, she, she has an E on the end of her name, and so I wasn't exactly sure if she just said, just say it's special, it's fine, right? And we stuck with that. So she sent me her life philosophy, and what's interesting about it is you probably have noticed from the title of the sermon that it's actually called on mindfulness and that is what she talks about but really all of that was built into this much larger narrative about her life journey of how she went on a religious journey to discover herself and although she grew up Christian there were periods of time where she walked away from Christianity but today she considers herself Christian and she boils her Christianity down to two things which is of course, these hymns that you probably know, which is, Jesus loves me, this I know. And this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. She says, that's her Christianity, which I love. I think that's like really cool, isn't it? That that's her Christianity. And the reason she subscribes to that is because she feels that summarizes the best of what the Bible is about, the principles of the Bible. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself, and love all the world and its inhabitants. Not just people, but everything that inhabits the world. And the reason why she came to this church is actually because of choose love, be the light, change the world. She heard that and she said, that so encapsulates what I believe to be true about Christianity. Now, during her 20s, that's when she went through this period of religious wandering. And she left behind Christianity for a period of time. And she decided she was going to look at other religions. And one religion she looked at very closely was Buddhism. She really liked Buddhism. And there are two elements of Buddhism that she still retains to this day, which is the practice of mindfulness and living in the present moment. Now, if you've ever studied Buddhism, what you probably know is that the first place you start is with meditation. In the church, where do you start? You come to a church service, right? Like that's where you begin. But generally, in Buddhism, you start with meditation. And I remember when I started working on meditation, back in the day when I was studying Buddhism, my teacher would tell me, you focus almost entirely on your breath. And she would say, I want you to just breathe in and out through your nose. And the goal is to focus on your breath going over the tip of your upper lip. That was where you started. And so the idea was you wanted to just focus on that and be in the present moment. Now, if you've ever done meditation, what you have probably noticed is that your mind tends to wander. True? Have you ever done it? Yeah, your mind will wander. You wander to thoughts and memories. It is excruciatingly difficult to stay in the present moment. Now, one of the reasons why it is so hard to stay in the present moment is because your mind can wander to past thoughts, right? Your mind can wander to the past. It can wander to the present. It can wander to the future, yes? She would study Thich Nhat Hanh. So that was kind of what she would do. In Buddhism, she made sure that when she was studying, she would have a mantra that she would keep in the present. And her mantra from Thich Nhat Hanh was that he would say, and he would say, when you, when you meditate, what you want to do is, you want to say, I am breathing in, I calm my body, breathing out, 
I smile. Dwelling in the present no moment, I know this is a wonderful moment. Now again, let's do that. Breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I smile. Dwelling in the present moment, I know this is a wonderful moment. Now, for Sarah Beth, what she would do is, whenever she would go on a walk or she would meditate, she would say this in her mind. She would say this over and over again. And the reason why is because your mind wanders. You need to have something that you can focus on. But the point of this particular, uh, the point of this particular mantra is that it's supposed to create gratitude inside of you. That's one aspect of it, which is to create gratitude. Because the fact is, right, when you're facing challenges in your life, it can be very hard to see everything that you have to be thankful for. Is this true? Absolutely, right? Because when you're facing challenges, oftentimes you're just right here. You can't see the stuff in front of you. And so as a result of that, what happens is that you lose perspective and you tend to focus only on the negatives in your life. And so this mantra is an attempt to push all those things aside, to push them out of the way so that you can actually focus on the things that matter. And when you're able to push those things aside, you can lift that anxiety off of you. You can lift the worries that you have off of yourself and makes life more manageable. Because the truth is, the only thing that you can control about your life is what's happening right now. Is that true? Can you control the past? Can you change the past? No, you can't. And this is the second thing that this mantra attempts to do, which is that because we as humans tend to focus on the past and we feel so many regrets, we have so many what-ifs, right? We say, oh, I should have done it differently. We have all these different things about the past that we tend to focus on that we need to focus on the present. And sometimes we can't focus on the present because we're too worried about the future, right? Oh, what's going to happen in the future? I feel anxiety over what's going to occur. Now, if you've ever read the Bible, what you probably know is that Jesus has a very similar teaching to this. He actually has it in the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever read what he says about worry? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. And then he says, each day has enough trouble of its own. So the idea is that you focus in on the present because then you're not worried about the regrets of the past and you're not anxious about the future. Now, why is this so important? Why is it important for us to focus on the present moment? Well, we as human beings, we have this wonderful machine in our head called a brain, right? And our brain, it's always able to do multiple things at once, right? You can be doing one thing, and you can be thinking about something else entirely, yes? All right, let's take driving as an example. So if you know where you're driving to, like if you've driven a route 100 times and you're deep in thought, have you ever gotten home and you don't remember how you got there? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you don't remember anything that happened and you, and you just have no memory of it at all. For me, that happens. Another place where this would happen to me, I remember when I was young, I was a teenager, and I used to mow lawns, you know, for a living. And so you turn on the mower, and the mower is super loud. Didn't wear, wear hearing protection, and that's why I have tinnitus in my ear, you know, being young and knowing what you're doing, right? Remember, wear ear protection when you mow your lawn. So 
I was out there, and I'd, but you'd be encompassed by the sound of the mower. And when I was out there, I would just be thinking about all these different things. So I'd think about, you know, movies I'd seen or stories I read. I'd try to parse the meaning out. I'd have ideas floating around in my mind while I was mowing. But I was most often thinking about my relationships. I was thinking about conversations that I'd had in the past. I was thinking about conversations I needed to have in the future. And as a result, I look back on that and I think to myself, oh my gosh, I was so worried about the future, about things I needed to do, and I was so anxious about the past. And I was having real trouble just being in the present. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a very comfortable place for me to be thinking about the past or thinking about the future. Is that true for you? All right, very comfortable for me. I have a lot of trouble being right here, right now. That's hard for me to do, and I know I'm not alone in it. Let's take this moment as an example. Now, what's happening right now? You're in a worship service, and we're at the sermon time, and what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be listening to what I'm saying, right? All right, now some of you, you're locked in. Some of you, you're half listening, you're half thinking about other things. Some of you are totally checked out, right? Like, not listening at all. Some of you are looking around the room, and you're like, ah, oh, that's a nice chandelier. Maybe you should change that light bulb up there that burned out. <laughs> now, actually, funny enough, this is, this is a true story. So I grew up in a church, Presbyterian church, kind of like this. The difference was that the balcony went all the way around the church. And I always sat up in the balcony area, like toward the back corner. And literally, this is what I imagined. So I imagined... And it's, to this day, this is true, that I could jump off the balcony. We had chandeliers just like this. And I'd jump onto the chandeliers, and I'd go between them. Like, that's what I would think about the entire time I was in the service. And now that's what you'll think about when you're in the service. <laughs> so why do we have such a tough time being in the present moment? Why is that so hard for us to do? Well, part of it is what I've been talking about, right? which is that we're either, our minds are in the past or the future. But actually, if you've ever spent time practicing mindfulness, you notice that you know a lot more, you feel a lot more about your body, both physically and emotionally. So, for example, physically, you notice your heart rate, you notice your rate of breath, you notice your digestion, you notice when you're really present, you notice all those aches and pains a lot more in your body, kind of where you feel them, right? Emotionally, you actually feel very, very different too. When you're really present, you notice how your emotions can change from moment to moment. How you can be calm one moment, tense the next. How you can feel this wave of anxiety wash over you and then a sense of relief. For me anyway, when I started practicing all of this mindfulness stuff, I realized, wow, I'm emotionally all over the place. I would have thought that I was pretty even keel, but when I noticed it, I was everywhere. You also notice a lot more about your surroundings. You tend to see things in your environment that you would normally miss. So do you all go out on walks here? You ever go out on walks, right? Okay, so when I'm in my mind and I'm just locked in there thinking, I'm just focusing on my footsteps in front of me, nothing else. But when I'm present and I'm really there, I can see all kinds of things. I see birds' nests. I can see the insects crawling around. I can see flowers that are kind of hidden away in little places where you wouldn't see them. 
You can see animals scurrying about. Even the scent of the air is more palpable. But perhaps the most interesting aspect of being mindful and being present is that you're more attuned to the people around you. So when I'm really locked in, it's amazing to me what I can tell by people's facial expressions, by their body language, by the tone of their voice. It's amazing to me what people can say to me with their eyes. Have you, have you ever heard that saying, the eyes are the window to the soul? Whoever came up with that, that is true. Because I have noticed that when I am really, really present, when I'm really, really in the moment, I can tell when somebody's talking to me, they might be saying one thing, but then the next moment I can tell by their eyes that they're actually saying something else that's going on behind it. That in fact, they're not telling me the whole story of what's going on in their life. I guess I tell you all of this to say that when you're really present, the world is a much more vibrant place. You see a lot more that's going on. And the truth is, when you're really present, you can actually see a lot more of God's presence in your life. You can see God working. And this brings me back to the mantra that we heard from Sarah Beth from Thich Nhat Hanh, where he says, breathing in, I calm my body, breathing out smile. Notice that the center of that is what? Breathing. Very good. Breath. And whether you realize it or not, breath is central to our connection to God. So you heard Judy today. She read from Genesis chapter 2. And Genesis chapter 2, of course, is that well-known scripture, the creation of man. And so what God does is God creates Adam from the dust of the earth. Literally, if you read the Hebrew, he is a clay man. That's what he's called in the Hebrew, clay man. But when he creates Adam, right, when God creates Adam, is he alive? No. God has to breathe life into him. That Hebrew word is, for breath is neshama, neshama. Now that word, it can be breath, but it can also mean spirit. And so when God breathes life into him, God breathes that spirit there. And so the whole premise of Genesis chapter 2 is that the animating force inside of every human being is God's breath or God's spirit. And that that is the essence of our spirituality. You with me? Or are you wandering? <laughs> now, interestingly... We read from the Gospel of John. And in that Gospel, it is a retelling of this story. I don't know if you noticed that. It is the same story. It's just a little bit different. So in this story, what happens is Jesus is giving his breath. Like, well, yeah, I jumped ahead. He's giving the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And how does he do that? He breathes it onto him, right? He actually literally breathes it. So this, the parallel is obvious, right? God breathes life into Adam in Genesis chapter 2, and then God breathes the Holy Spirit to the disciples. The idea being, this is the same breath, same thing, right? It's a callback. And so the reason why he's trying to create a bridge between his gospel in Genesis chapter 2 is that central to who we are as human beings is this need for us to get in touch with God's Spirit inside of us. Because the more you're in touch with God's Spirit the more you are able to be in touch with God. But you can't do that 
unless you are present, unless you are mindful, unless you're in the moment. You can't get in touch with that unless you're right here, right now. And this is where Sarah Best's philosophy intersects with the Scripture. And it's why she's retained these things from Buddhism for so long as a result of her faith. Because you need to be present in the moment if you want to connect with God. Now, Sarah Beth, she's not the first person to come up with this idea. Okay? This is actually an ancient tradition in Christianity. It goes back 1,500 years. The first people to really focus on this, they were known as the Desert Fathers and Mothers. Now, these are the people who practiced what is known as Christian mysticism. They were in the 4th and 5th centuries, and what they would do is they would literally go out into the desert for years, and sometimes even decades, and they would literally sit and pray and meditate. And what we have found is that many of their practices mirror what you find in Buddhism. They're exactly the same. And you know how we know this? They wrote them down so that we could do them as well. Now, this is a little bit of a side note for you, but this is important to keep in mind, which is that Christianity is actually an Eastern religion. A lot of people think of it as a Western religion because we've taken it in the West and we've Westernized it, but its original roots are in the East. And so it actually has a lot more in common with thoughts like Buddhism than we realize. It's actually quite similar to Buddhism in many ways. But when you start reading about the desert fathers and mothers, what you will see is a consistent thread, and that is this. If you want to experience God, then you need to spend time alone in contemplation. It's very important. If you want to have an experience of God, you have to spend time alone in contemplation. One of the most famous desert fathers, a man named, by the name of Abba Moses, he once said, sit in thy cell, and thy cell will teach thee all. Now, the cell he's referring to is a monastic cell. And that cell, if you, have you ever seen a monastic cell? There's not much to it. It's basically, you know, four walls and a ceiling and a floor. Oftentimes, there's not even a bed inside of it. It's just a mat. It's very sparse. But the idea is that you spend time alone in this cell by yourself, undistracted, right? You don't have your phone on you or anything like that, right? You're in the cell, and the whole idea is that you just spend time by yourself. Now, why does that teach you everything you need to know? Because being alone by yourself in that moment allows you to be present, and it helps you to focus in on your mind, your body, your emotions, your spirit. The truth is, though, is that we struggle with this, do we not? How does that, does that sound like a good thing to you guys? Is that what you want to do? Do you want to spend time alone in a monastic cell? No, many people don't. I want to tell you just a quick story about something I did, a little experiment I performed a number of years ago. So when I was a youth pastor back in uh, New Jersey, I took every year in the winter, I'd have to take my high schoolers out on a retreat. Same thing TC does, but I created the content. And the way it would work is we'd have three sessions, Friday evening, Saturday morning, Saturday night. In the Saturday night session, I'd always try to do something really special to kind of bring everybody together so they'd have this experience that would allow them to come closer to God and closer to each other. And one year I decided, you know what we're going to do? Instead of me getting up and teaching or trying to do something creative, what we're going to do is we're going to sit in silence for 15 minutes. Now, that may not sound like that much time, 
But for a teenager, 15 minutes without anything is an eternity, right? And so I told them, this is what we're going to do. A lot of them hemmed and hawed, but I said, here's what we're going to do. You can't do anything. You just have to sit there for 15 minutes in silence. And you would be amazed at what happened. So we sat there, and some of them were very uncomfortable to begin with. But some of them eventually got into it, and some of them even started to cry in the middle of it. Now, afterwards, I asked them, I said, what was that like for you to sit alone like that for 15 minutes in silence? And all kinds of different answers. One person said, sitting that silent and that still, I've never felt more alone in my life. That was an interesting one. Another one was, I never realized how much I create noise in my life to push out all of the negative thoughts that are in my mind. But the final one, this is the girl who cried. She said that being that silent, I was forced to feel my emotions in a way that I've never experienced before. Now, when I first got to this church, this was an eternity ago, but eight years, right? I had made a list of all the sermons that I wanted to preach here. And one of the sermons that I came up with was sitting in silence for 15 minutes. Now, do you know why I never did that? <laughs> I never did it because I know that most of you would get up and leave. <laughs> or if you didn't leave, I would probably get a lot of complaints. I didn't come to church to sit in silence, right? You're just trying to get a Sunday off from preaching, right? Like all that kind of stuff. But the truth is, and I really need you to hear this, sitting alone in silence for 15 minutes trying to be present is going to teach you more about your relationship with God than anything I will ever say. And that is truth. But the problem is that we have a real discomfort sitting in silence like that for a long period of time. I mean, you've seen that. You know, when we do the confession, we took this out for the summer, but we have a moment of silence, right? You ever notice when we do the moment of silence, 20 seconds is about the limit we can get to before everybody starts to get uncomfortable, right? Imagine 15 minutes. But that discomfort is really important for you to understand. That being alone in silence without distraction, that you have a new experience of yourself. It's scary to do that. Because you feel things you haven't felt, it's intense. You can't block anything out, but it's important. There's this great quote from one of the desert fathers and mothers. We don't know. It has various attributions, but I want to read it to you now. Take care to be silent. Empty your mind. Attend to your meditation in the fear of God, whether you are resting or at work. Now, that whole thing of empty your mind, that's a Buddhist idea, right? You empty your mind, you get rid of everything that's going on. You forget about the past, you forget about the future. And what happens in the present moment? That's when you connect with God. That's when you can feel the breath inside of you. And this brings me to the point of this sermon today, the entire reason why I've been preaching this, which is that when you have an experience of God's breath, God's spirit inside of you, the neshama, if you will, that is when you can experience God's love. How many of you in here have heard that God loves you? You heard that, right? Now, how many of you in here can say you've had an experience of that love? That's harder, right? 
It's one thing to say God loves you. It's another thing to experience that love. And to really experience it, you have to be in connection with that spirit. And that connection with God's love, that's what enables you to live the Christian life. If you've never had that connection, it's hard to live it out. Let me explain why. So, have you ever felt love before? I hope so. I hope you've had some love in your life. When you feel love, does it feel good? Do you feel connected to people? Absolutely, right? So when you feel loved, when you feel that connection with God, you feel connected to the world around you. And when you feel connected to the world around you, you feel connected to the people around you. And when you feel connected to the people around you, remember, if you're present, what did I tell you? You can see their facial expressions, their body language, their tone of voice. You can see what they're going through. You can hear their needs. And when you can hear their needs, then you can live out Matthew 25 better. Do you remember Matthew 25? You ever heard that one before here? Matthew 25. What is it? Feed the hungry. Give drink to the thirsty. Clothe the naked. Welcome the stranger. Care for the sick. Visit those who are in prison. It's not just the tangible needs. It's being there for people emotionally when they need it. And this is why Sarah Beth's whole philosophy of life is so critically important to our walk as Christians. Because here's the thing, if you are not being mindful, if you're not being present, then my friends, it is so incredibly hard to appreciate how Jesus wants to mold you into the servant who God intended you to be. You are intended to be a servant to others, but you have to be present to see those needs and to really hear what people need in their lives. Does this make sense? I'm going to end with a quote from a man named Thomas Merton. Some of you may be familiar with him. Thomas Merton was a Trappist monk of the 20th century. And he was a, a writer. He was a poet, a mystic. He was a scholar of comparative religions. And he wrote, in 27 years, more than 50 books. His most famous book was called The Seven-Story Mountain. It was published in 1948. Many World War II veterans read that book. It inspired them to go check out monasteries all over the world. It inspired many people who weren't World War II veterans to do the same. But Sarah Beth and I, we both love Thomas Burton because he so embodies this Christian philosophy of how you connect with God by being present. And so when she sent me her life philosophy, she actually sent me this quote, and I think it's the perfect quote to end the sermon because it encapsulates everything that we've been talking about. You do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it is all going. What you need is to recognize the possibilities and challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. And I hope that for all of you, you can do that, that you can embrace that present moment and you can do what he says to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.